We're talking about the year of triumph, and how many you can confess, it's my year. And uh, we began talking about last week how important the, the blood of Jesus is to our victory, to our triumph. The scripture says in 2 Corinthians 2.14, But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. In other words, he never leads us into defeat. Amen. He doesn't lead you into sin. He doesn't lead you into temptation. He doesn't lead you into despair. He doesn't even lead you into what some people call the so-called wilderness experience. You say, what am I talking about? The reason the Israelis went through the wilderness is because of disobedience. And it's important to understand the difference between God's plan for preparation and what happens in delaying the plan of God because we don't walk according to His Word. But He is always leading you into triumph. Amen. Where is He leading me this year, Pastor? He's leading you into triumph. Amen. That's where He's leading you into. And as He does, you are spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere you go. Triumph means to gain the mastery. It means the victory after a serious conflict, battle, or test. The point is, you and I can't triumph unless we have something to triumph over. And I can go around the room and point out things that many of you have been through, and yet you're still walking with God. I said, you're still walking with God. You're still walking in love. The devil can do his best, but his best is not good enough. Some of you are realizing that that's all he's trying to do is somehow compromise you, get you in a bad frame of mind or attitude. But what God's trying to do now is turn all that around in Jesus' name. I tell you, when you get hit hard by the enemy, by persecution, by trouble, and you stand, God is impressed with that. Many of you have no idea how you have pleased the heart of God because you didn't quit. Well, what's the big deal with that? What's the big deal? People are crashing and burning all over this nation that call themselves Christians. I'm telling you, God is pleased because you didn't quit. Amen. And now it's time to raise up that banner of triumph for you. Hallelujah. It means overwhelming victory on display for all to see. I'll always love the scripture in Psalm 23 that says that he prepares a table for me, where? In the presence of my enemies. What does that tell me? It means that God is about to put us on display. You didn't think it was going to happen. You tried to oppose it. You tried to undermine it. But look what the Heavenly Father has done for me. Well, Brother Art, that's in heaven where the table's at. No, there are no, there are no enemies in heaven, my friend. This is a table down here. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? The table prepared for you and for me. Yes, there's a great banquet coming, but God has a great table for you in this life. And that's one of the reasons you're redeemed is to live that out and enjoy what he has for you. There's a special anointing on God's people this year. I believe with all of my heart to triumph over their enemies and circumstances. I believe there's a special anointing on you. And the great thing about this is you and I don't have to go take a poll somewhere, ask all the experts, what are the keys to the triumph? He gave us himself the keys to the triumph. Listen to this scripture in Revelation 12, verse 10 through 11. 
And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven. Where did this voice come from? Heaven. heaven. Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him. What, what is going on here is both apocalyptic and prophetic. Seeing into the future, my people will overcome him. The people today, this is in front of us. And how do we overcome the accuser of the brethren? He gives us the answer. By the blood of the lamb. By the word of their testimony. And they love not their lives even unto death. Listen to how this translation puts it. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. We talked about how powerful the blood is. Whatever you're facing in this life, understand this, the blood is your passport into that powerful place with God. It is your passport into the covenant. It is that passport into your redemption. It is that passport into your citizenship as a child of God. And I don't care what you're going through, get into the habit of saying, you know what, I'm not going to sit here and think this thing to death, talk this thing to death, complain, whine, despair. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to plead the blood. And when you plead the blood, you're throwing everything simultaneously at the enemy that you can throw at him spiritually. And how many you understand there's nothing more powerful than that blood? Faith in that blood is, is key to your triumph. Shout this out. I plead the blood. Save it with me. I plead the blood. When I don't feel well, I'm pleading the blood. When the money's not there, I'm pleading the blood. Amen. When there's a threat on your life, I'm pleading the blood. When somebody's talking ugly about you, I'm pleading the blood. You can try to defend yourself or just plead the blood. I promise you by the time, you know, God's done with them, they'll wish you just talked ugly about them. This is what I'm saying to you. The Lord is trying to tell you to weaponize these keys. Use them as weapons in advancement of your triumph. I promise you in this earth there's nothing more powerful than the blood of the Lamb. Nothing. But we've got to go from being religious about it and start realizing why he gave it to us in the first place. Amen? Turn to somebody and tell them, weaponize what he has given you. The second thing he tells us as a key here is the word of our testimony. It's a powerful phrase. It's the word or the message of how God touched us individually. What did he do? What has he done in our own lives? It's the message of what happened to us when Christ intersected our lives. You may have heard this phrase, well, you know, I was doing this when, when I found God. Let me tell you something, my brother, my sister. You didn't find God. God found you. You weren't even looking for him. 
So my word of testimony is what happened when he intersected my life with his goodness and his mercy and his loving kindness. And you know, everybody's story is a little bit different. This word testimony means speech that triumphs, conquers, and prevails. Listen carefully. My testimony, your testimony, is speech that triumphs, conquers, and prevails. I'm going to say it again. And maybe again. And maybe three more times. My testimony... Your personal testimony is speech that triumphs, that prevails, that conquers. There's a whole lot more God does with your personal record and story of how Christ intersected your life than we ever dreamed of. In fact, I'll go further than that and I'll say the enemy is doing everything he can to suppress our voice. Say it with me. My testimony is speech that triumphs, conquers, and prevails. We're to speak up, church, and we're to speak out. And let me just help you with this before we go too far into this. Too many times we have equated our story, our testimony, with what we do in church. And yes, it's true that if, if a brother or sister stands up today and says, well, I want to I thank the Lord Jesus Christ. He saved me and sanctified me and filled me with the Holy Spirit and he healed me, praised the Lord, and all the saints said amen. How do you understand that's good for us to hear? But that's not the intended purpose of the testimony. By reducing it to Christian sharing with Christian, we've gutted this thing of its power. Now you say, well, I don't have a story. You do have a story. Are you here? Everyone in here has a story of what God has been to them, what God has done for them. The problem is, we're more comfortable talking to each other about what God has done than talking to people who need to hear it. Now, before you throw something at me, I want to remind you, these aren't my words. These are the words of the Alpha and the Omega. He's pulling for your success. He's telling you there's going to be opposition. The accuser of the brethren is going to be active. He's a stealer and a killer and a destroyer. But you will overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. To operationalize your testimony. To weaponize your testimony. Amen. The enemy has never worked harder to suppress the voice of the believer. And he's perfectly fine if we keep that voice confined in the walls of the church. And today, 
Everybody say today. Today, today there's statute on the books to our, in our northern neighbor's law that criminalizes free speech, preachers saying what the Bible says about sinful behavior and things that are right and things that are wrong. Right now, everybody say right now. Right now, there are a hundred congressmen and women who are ready to support a bill that would do the same thing in the United States of America, virtually criminalizing any speech, any sermon that would dare say certain things based on the word are not acceptable. Did you hear what I said? I didn't say Canada or Timbuktu. I said the United States of America. Why is this important? Because that puts all of us in the position, first of all, we should raise our voice up and tell them, you know what? I still believe the First Amendment applies to the church. I still believe it applies to those that preach the gospel. And that's where the war is. And thank God our framers had the wisdom to put it down as such a fundamental right. It can't be legislated away. That's why it's important to have the Bill of Rights. But there can come a day where it is criminalized, and once again, it's designed to shut you down and keep you quiet. There's an old uh, Jewish parable that fits that particular situation very, very well. During the Roman Empire, the rabbis were told, you're no longer allowed to teach from the Talmud. You are no longer to share your heritage and your teachings. We want them to be allegiant to Caesar. We want their allegiance to Rome. You will not do this anymore. And so one rabbi, you know, obviously moved by what the, the Caesar had said, he went and did what he always did. He gathered a small group together in, in full sight of everyone on the street and began to teach them from the Talmud. Now listen to me carefully. Um, Torah is what I mean, not Talmud. Now, when, when that happens, there's going to be some kind of a kickback, right? And so one of his colleagues said, didn't you hear what they said? Are you still going to continue to teach as you always had? And he said, yes. And he told him this story. He said, there are lots of fish swimming in a stream, and it's like they were swimming for their lives, trying to get away. And, and a fox who was walking by the stream said, why are you doing this? Why are you trying to, you know, escape like this? What's, why are you wasting your time? Why don't you just, instead of worrying about the nets that are trying to catch you, why don't you just come up here on the dry land, and we can live in peace like our ancestors did before? Now, the moral of that parable is, it may be challenging to be where? In the water, but it's certain death if we jump out. And I want to tell you, it may be challenging to be a believer in these times with all that comes. Yea, and all those that will be, what? A believer in the Lord, a live a godly life in Christ Jesus, will be persecuted. But as Deuteronomy 30 says, you can't turn from the word because it is your very life. Peter had the same reply. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. 
There may be nets in the water and fishermen in the water and stirring in the water, but guess what? We'll live just fine. And matter of fact, in the will of God is the safest place you can be. In the word of God is the safest place you can be. Are you here today? Following God is the safest place you can be regardless of what they do. And a lot of people will be tempted to climb out of the water and sit on the bank, not realizing that withdrawing from the word of God will kill them. Turn to somebody and say, we're not going to do that. You know, there are lots of examples in Scripture where somebody just told what they knew. The woman at the well, Jesus met and told her about living water, who asked her, you know, where is your husband? I don't have one. He said, that's truthful. Amen. And even the one, after all these marriages, even the one you have is what? Yes. Well, she, well, that was an eye-opener for her, and she was bowled over by this prophetic insight, by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, obviously. She has a transformational experience, and she goes back to her village and says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. She impacted that village simply because Jesus pointed out what she was doing wrong and told her there was a water that if she would drink it, she would never thirst again. This woman didn't have a degree. She did not have a credential card. She didn't have the sanction of a church, and yet she won her whole village with her testimony. Say this woman, there is power in a person's testimony. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, you say, Pastor, you say that about everyone. Yeah, that's pretty much true. <laughs> but in John chapter 9, there's a man that's born blind. Jesus heals him. This upsets the Pharisees because everybody knew this man's backstory. And they come to cross-examine him. And first, his testimony is, this man, you know, made this compound and put it in my eyes and, and he healed me. And they continue to press the issue. And then the man calls him a prophet. And then later on, he calls him as a man from God. Nobody could do these things except he were sent from God. You know what the real linchpin in the story was? Do you know what the real turning point was in the story? is when they tried to belittle him and try to make fun of his limited knowledge and experience. Here's what he said, church. He said, this one thing I know. I was blind and now I see. There's power in that. What they do, they threw him out. But how do you understand his impact lasts to this day? Today, we're still talking about his bold testimony for the one that had healed him. Amen. We see Paul's uh, testimony before Festus and Agrippa in Acts chapter 26. And Agrippa says, Thou almost persuadest me to be a Christian. How powerful was that? What did Paul say? Paul told him about his background. Paul told him about his experience on the road to Damascus. Paul talked about the persecution of the Jews. Paul talked about the fact that the prophets all talked about this and foreshadowed this. And he said, I, I know you believe the prophets, King Agrippa. And you and I know that he was ultimately going to give his testimony to Caesar himself or he would have been set free right then and there. But what's the point? Whether you're just coming out of sin like the woman at the well 
or you're a man with a crippling disease or physical problem, or you're the great apostle Paul, testimony is powerful in all other mouths. Turn to somebody and say, it's powerful in your mouth too. Come on, tell them it's powerful in your mouth too. Go over to 2 Timothy for a moment. Second Timothy is conveniently located after First Timothy. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Are you a believer today? Yes. How many of you have ever heard this verse? Second Timothy chapter one, verse seven. For God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Do you believe that today? Oh, yes, amen. And we have applied that to all manner of fears. You board a plane, you're not used to flying, and all of a sudden it does a lot of jumping around, a lot of turbulence, and you begin to say what? God has not given me a spirit of fear. Or you're like Jesse Duplantis and you walked into a room and you, you laid down and all of a sudden you saw this being floating around in your room, you know, just doing one of these things. And then when you turn on the light, you realize it was his coat blowing in the bone by the fan. That's all that was. <coughs> Everybody say spirit of fear. We see a spider. I don't have a spirit of fear. We see the darkness. I don't have a spirit of fear. We don't have a spirit of fear for this or a spirit of fear for that. When Ben Priest was a very young Christian, he went to a Gary Wood service. Gary Wood uh, actually was here several years ago. Gary Wood had been raised from the dead. I think it was twice he was raised from the dead. And uh, when he started praying for the people in the altar, he asked Ben to come and stand behind them. And so he did. And uh, Ben brought his own perception of what demonic deliverance looked like because this pastor, John Osteen, would always talk about he would see these demons as black, hairy demons. It's like, you know, hair everywhere. So Ben is standing behind this woman at Gary's direction, and then Gary begins to pray the prayer of deliverance over that woman. And all of a sudden, Ben looks down, and he sees this black, hairy demon on his hand. And he's screaming like this, and he's waving his hand. He, he waves his hand over here, and the congregation parts. And he waves his hand over here, and the congregation parts. Come to find out, when Gary Wood was praying for her, her wig got snagged on Ben's ring, and he had this. <laughs> God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. We all have those experiences. We lived in Hopkinsville and went to bed one night and I'm sleeping soundly and all of a sudden I hear this and so I, you know I sleep light anyway and I I'm listening and it disappeared. I'm just about to drift back to sleep and it goes what on earth is that? And it happens again. I jump out of bed. And I'm walking on my, you know, just like this, my knees, going to the 
edge of the bed and identify it. It's, it's towards the foot of the bed. I get to the foot of the bed and I hear, I go, it's in the bed. It's in the bed with Kelly. Everybody say, God hadn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. There was a critter in the bed with us. So being the man of God, I am. I went and laid on the couch. No, I'm just <laughs> I mean, like all in one action, I grabbed the covers on the foot of that bed and I threw it back to discover she was scratching her toenail on the mattress pad. Mighty, mighty man of God, taken down by a toenail on a mattress pad in the middle of the night. Mm hmm. Say, God hasn't given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Does that sound like a sound mind to you? Yeah, well, I'm sure you got your own stories too. <laughs> the problem is the intended context and meaning of this scripture is fine to, to apply that. I don't have a spirit of fear because a spirit of fear will manifest in all kinds of fears. But specifically, read on with me. The very next verse, so do not be ashamed to testify. Do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me as prisoner, but join with me in the suffering of the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life. The context of that famous scripture and often quoted scripture, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, actually applies to the sharing of your testimony. God hasn't given me a spirit of fear. What does this mean? It tells you that there are two powerful forces that will keep you quiet even when the Lord's trying to prompt you to share the phenomenal things God has done in your life. One is shame. And the other is fear. What will they think if I do this? They'll think I'm a Jesus person. They'll think I'm a fanatic. They may not agree with my doctrine. What happened to me? Blah, blah, blah. And on and on it goes. And so we're ashamed to testify or we're flat out, number two, afraid to do so. Say it with me. Shame, Shame. And, fear. and fear. To that Paul said to his spiritual son, God hadn't given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, and you just keep on testifying about our Lord. Amen? And don't you be ashamed to associate with your spiritual father because I preach the same thing. You don't have shame. You don't have fear. You have the spirit of Christ. Amen? Amen? Amen. Pharisees came to Peter and John and said, we'll not have any more of this preaching in Jesus' name. You know what they said? We can't help speaking about that which we have seen and what we have heard. Amen. Let me just share with you today 
And we might go a little bit deeper with this as the time goes by, but I want to sow into your heart the elements of a testimony. And I want you to hear these words carefully. Just whatever you have to do to sharpen your consciousness right now and listen very carefully, the power of the risen Christ is released every time a believer shares his or her faith. The power of the risen Christ is released every time a believer shares his or her faith. How often? Every time. So if you're the devil, do you want believers sharing their testimony? No. Or at very least, get them sharing it to each other. I love testimony services. I always love to hear the testimonies as a believer. But guess what? The ones that need to hear it the most are not in the house of God. They're in the schools, where you work, where you shop, they're where you fellowship outside the church. That's who needs to actually hear the testimony. Amen. Why is that true? Power is released. Why? Because faith is built in the hearer's heart when you speak of the good things of God. It's because the reality of Christ is greater to you when you share your testimony than if you don't. You feel like your faith is kind of stale or you're kind of plateaued. I promise you, start sharing your testimony again. It'll jerk you out of that complacency. It'll become to you today just as, as real as it was the day you first met him. Amen. It actually increases power each time you do it. And if that's not enough, God is glorified. You've heard this scripture in Mark 16, 20, and he worked for them, confirming his word with what? Signs following. Are you here today? Raise a hand and say, Pastor, I am all ears. I don't have shame, and I don't have fear. I want you to hear this as clearly as I can. We preach and teach the word, and he confirms his word with signs following. But the specific vocal sharing he's talking about and the promise of the confirming with signs following was the testimony of those that were in his hearing. Can I ask you a question? How many of you really want to see more blind eyes open, just like happened in John chapter 9? How many more people that are in a lifestyle like the woman at the well and others in various sins and bondages, how many would like to see them go back to their home and tell what great things God did for them? How many, how many still believe he causes those that can't walk to walk, those that can't hear to hear? Do you want to see more of that? Do you want to see more of that? Do you really believe that he can take somebody who is completely bound by drugs and set them free and put them on a new path? Do you still believe he raises the dead? Yes. Then the testimony has to come out of church and out into the world where God intended it to go. I got two amens and a maybe. Let me say that again. The promise of confirming the word with signs following 
is for the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ in all of our lives. See, religion has taught you that if super apostle or evangelist so-and-so would come to town, then eyes would open and ears would open and people would get their backs healed and they would get their, their bodies straightened out and God would raise the dead. Brother, so-and-so were here and we could just have a meeting and we could do it. You're missing the whole point. If you just go out and share your testimony, God will confirm his word right there where you are. Amen. You mean without brother so-and-so superstar? Yes. Because when God began to use Philip, nobody knew who he was. He was a deacon. Served tables so the apostles could give themselves to prayer and the word of God. But look at the mighty things that happened in his life. How do I know this is true? If you read the story of the Samaritan revival, the Bible says he preached Christ. Are you here? He told them what he had done in his life and what he can do in their lives. And it was confirmed with what? Signs following. When Philip left that revival, God told him to go and meet someone that he was going to know at the time when he saw him, but he pulled him out of that revival. He met a man, amen, the Ethiopian eunuch on his way back home who was reading out of Isaiah 53, and what did Philip preach to him? The Christ depicted in Isaiah 53. He was so excited, he said, is there any reason I can't be baptized? And so Philip immediately Got him in some water, baptized him. Hallelujah. And this man and his nation, history tells us, was transformed because of one man's testimony. Amen. Praise God. The word is confirmed with signs following. The word he's really talking about is the word of what? Our testimony. Do you know that you could be taught for five hours and nothing tremendous happen if there's not real room for the Spirit of God to do it? But the power of God is resident on the testimony. How do I know that? Because Jesus said, you overcome these by what? The blood of the Lamb, the word of your testimony. Now watch this. Here are five things. Five simple things that should be in your story, in your testimony. And they're unique to you in many ways. Number one, where Jesus found you. Where Jesus found you. He may have found you in the church. He may have found you in the gutter. He may have found you on drugs. He may have found you in a Fortune 500 company. He may have found you out hunting. He may have found you, you know, anywhere, in any kind of circumstance. Everybody's story is different. You know, uh, in uh, newcomers' events, we'll ask, you know, what background, because we've always been very, very diverse in this church in terms of denominational background. We'll go around the room and ask, you know, what's your background? Everybody will say, you know, Methodist or Catholic or Baptist or Presbyterian. There's a few Lutherans here and there. And Kelly will always speak up, heathen. Until she came to 
this church years ago at 16th and Glendale. And she may or may not remember the precise moment that the Lord touched her life. And there are people just like that. Isn't that a wonderful thing to be raised in it and keep on serving God? But the truth is some people get away from God. The truth is some people go to church all their lives and know nothing about God. They've got religion. They've got a membership. They've got an association, but that's it. There are people that have never been to church in their lives. And so today we have unchurched people, de-churched people. We have people that have never been in their lives. And the Lord finds us in different places. Amen. The big catchphrase today is, what do you do for the de-church? You know what the de-church need to do? Lean in. This will be very deep. I used to go to church, but I don't. Because of this, because of that, because of this, because of that. You know what the de-church need to do? Repent for their disobedience. Lord never told them to be de-churched. Thank you for your enthusiasm over this revelation. Where did he find you? Number two, what did he do for you? Well, obviously he saved you. Amen. But what else has he done? There could have been a deliverance. Could have been a protection. Could have been a story of healing. Isn't that wonderful? So, you know, just like Paul, I was on the road to Damascus. Where were you? Well, in Paul's story, he, of course, was, was taken down, amen, and then lifted up and encouraged and built up and released for the work of the ministry. What did he do in your life? Look at somebody and say, he did some good things in your life. Raise your hand if you can't remember a time you weren't in church. couple of you. How many of you can remember if you've been in church all your lives, there was a decisive day when you actually turned your life over to the Lord, Okay. How many were not raised in church? Okay, there are only two possibilities here. <laughs> Where were the rest of you, Mars? <laughs> so let's try that again. How many were raised in church? You can't remember not being in. Okay. How many were raised out of church? Okay. Apparently, this is just beyond you on a Sunday morning, so we'll just. God help you if I threw a third choice in there. Well, think about Ty. Weren't you in Lambda Chi? Amen. Living the high life, literally. Hallelujah. <laughs> but that's your story. And. Lord used Mark Randall to point him back to the way. Hallelujah. And the rest of the story. Amen. His is a great story of redemption and of power. And I do know this. He knows the secret of sharing that testimony because he's very much, very much like Mark in terms of his tendency to do that. And so he sees a lot of cool things happening. Somebody asked me one time, why does Mark have all these amazing stories? You want to know why? Because he's always sharing his testimony. Right? Look at somebody and say, if you want great stories, you got to share your testimony. That's right. A few weeks ago at Men's Prayer Breakfast, he was talking about some of these very, very things and important things to sow into our lives as men. And, and uh, he, he mentioned this little known fact that he's actually an introvert. Todd. An introvert. 
And I couldn't help but I said to myself and a few others, if Todd is an introvert, I am dead. D-E-A-D. <laughs> dead. But you know what? Many of us don't know him before the Lord invaded his life. So we have no idea. You say, why? Because the Lord will also change your personality. Not just heal you, but change you, make you into what he wants you to be. Does that make sense? Hallelujah. Aren't you glad for that? So everybody here has a story of where he found you. Everybody has a story of what he did for you. Those things that he has done for you should be front and center to your story. Because the more you share it, the more power is going to flow. It's very difficult to defeat a believer who keeps bragging on Jesus all the time. Amen. Are you here today? Glory to God. You have a story where something may have broken and destroyed you or, you know, put you in a terrible position, but the Lord brought you out. How many know he knows how to bring you out? Maybe you're like Ben Priest. You are a, you know, needle drug user or some other substance or some other habit, but the Lord did something in your life. Why is it important for you to share? Because when somebody else hears that, they also can have hope. That God's not done. Amen? Amen. Praise God. See, the modern churches, one man preaches and everybody listens and then we go home and have potluck or whatever. The New Testament design is we teach you to do this and then everybody goes out and shares their testimony. Come on, everybody know what? You just with your head and say, that's good preaching. That's the word of God. Yes, it is. Amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> say this with me. I know where I was when he found me. I know what he did when he found me. Here's the third element for you today. Number three, insert relevant scriptures into your story. Paul certainly did. The word is filled with examples of how the scriptures of salvation and the mercy and the grace of God, the Old Testament prophecies apply. If you were healed, you could say he healed me, thus fulfilling what he said by his stripes. Guess what? I was healed. He sent forth his word and he healed me. You add that so they understand that this is what the Bible says. Hallelujah. Do you know the Bible says that all that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved? And you tell them that was me. I called upon the name of the Lord and he saved me. This is how your story is, is undergirded with the word of God. Where he found you, what he did for you, what the scripture says about that experience. Number four, praise and thanksgiving for what he has done and for what he will do. We, those of us that have experienced the new birth, should be the most thankful people on the planet. We know where we were when he found us. And how many know religion doesn't save? Church membership doesn't save. Jesus, what? Saves. And so we have this amazing thing he's done for us. And walking around, when every time we share, the power of God would be released. If we really want to overcome, we're going to get diligent in this. Amen? Strong in this. Bold in this. And number five, 
You point others to Jesus. You simply say and exhort them, what he did for me, he will do for you. What he did in my life, he'll do in your life. This is a good foundation for your testimony. Can you, can you sense what the Spirit of God's trying to tell us? You do not reserve your testimony for a testimony service. An awful lot of those people are already saved. Can I have a better amen? amen? But people you come in contact with, they don't know what you know. You say, well, they go to church. That's, my, that's exactly my point. They may go to church. That doesn't mean they know him. But through your testimony, it says, you know what? I was raised in church until I was 30-something years old or whatever and didn't know beans about the things of God. And the Lord found me and began to teach me and instruct me and heal me and on and on it goes. All of a sudden they can connect because they've been sitting in that church just like mama and them and grandma and them and none of y'all know any more than the other one. Is it possible to go to church and not know anything? Is it possible? Is it possible to go to church and not know some things you need to know? Is it okay that you come into this church and the Lord makes you unlearn some things? Is it okay if you come in here and you say to yourself, you know what, that's new or fresh to me. Shouldn't the word be like that? Yes. Yeah. The day I got born again, the day I received the Holy Spirit, I started reading a Bible that was given to me when I was a first grader in our Lutheran church. And after I got it, ask me how many times I opened it. If you said none, you are absolutely right. <laughs> if you said once, you're giving me entirely too much credit. <laughs> so I'm just, you know, I heard these things about salvation, heard these things about the Spirit of God, and I, I turned to 1 Corinthians, and I started reading in chapter 12 about the gifts of the Spirit, because I wanted to understand what was happening, what I was dealing with and going through, and I was just amazed. I want to find out who just put this in the Bible. Who did that? How many know it's been there a long time? And do you know what my initial reaction was? I can't believe all those years they never taught us anything about this in the Lutheran church. And you know what God spoke to me? Perhaps the first time I recall knowing that I know that I know that I know the Spirit of God spoke to me. You know what he said? Well, didn't they give you that Bible in the first grade? I'm like, I'm done. No more questions. <laughs> no more comments. <laughs> Can I give you a tip here? You will never win an argument with the Holy Spirit. Ever. So you might as well just shut up and listen. <laughs> Amen. I was like, wow, gee, this is in there. When I graduated high school, which was right after my experience, my mom gave me an open Bible book for graduation. It was a personal size and had a lot of good study notes in there. And I'm telling you what, I absolutely devoured that thing. Amen. In other words, I may have not read the first one, but I was going to read this one. 
Amen. Amen. You see what I'm saying to you now? Every experience is different. I remember asking my sister one time because, uh, you know, she'd gone through a season where she'd known God and gotten into a lot of rebellious activity and had some really difficult times physically. And, you know, last I knew her, uh, uh, she wasn't in a good place. Everybody thinks that I had the best pitching arm in our family. The ability to throw things with great speed and accuracy. And they didn't think it was me, they think it was my dad who was very, very fast when he was a college player. But the truth is, Tammy has the best throwing arm. <laughs> it's amazing how she could pick up anything and get it to its destination. Oh, yes. She slipped into a mode of behavior that was not parentally honoring or God-honoring. And I guess my mom at some point in time had enough. So Tammy was out late one night, having an inquiry in mind. I was hiding in the next room. I wanted to see what was going to go down in this situation. <laughs> I mean, some of my best times in life were watching her and Tammy go at it. <laughs> Learned <laughs> Tammy's out smoking and drinking and boozing and carousing. So Tammy walks in the door, and there's my mom. said, well, you know what? I'm going to teach her a lesson. She walks in, my mom has a wine glass and a cigarette in her hand. Here's Tammy's famous response. Mom! And she's just like, well, if you can do it, so can I. Have you ever heard the term reverse psychology? She invented it. Long before any book was ever written. <laughs> Amen. She had some hard times. But she came back with a vengeance. A woman's a glow leader led her back to the Lord Amen. and any things to the Spirit. And Lakewood discipled her under Brother Osteen's meet. And when she came back to town, she was not the same person that she left. And I remember asking her one day, at about 17 years old, tell me something about Jesus. I mean, you know, it's pathetic to have to ask a question. You've been in church all your life. Tell me something about Jesus. Well, she had some revelation, obviously. But here's my point. She was so changed that my other brother <laughs> looked at me and he said, well, she's run off and joined a cult. You just have to know, Jamie. <coughs> That's how dramatic everybody's story is different. Now, if you're thinking today that if you weren't raised in church or whatever, you don't have a testimony, or even if you were raised in church, you don't have a testimony, you are crazy. The person raised in the house of God, preserved by God's power, that is a story and a half. But there's also a story there when somebody comes back to God. It's also a story when no one had the benefit of any heritage or foundation and they find through his forgiveness and mercy a new life in him. Amen. Say it with me. Everybody. Everybody. Everybody, everybody. Has, a testimony. has a testimony. I want to see a show of hands. Do you really want to triumph this year? Amen. Come on. Raise your hand. You want to triumph over everything the enemy throws at you. How many want to beat his ears back? <laughs> 
How many of you know that he has pulled some garbage against you, your family, your life? The way to deal with him is share your story like you never have this year. And the power of God will flow and the devil will be sorry he ever messed with you. Because every time you share it, power is released to confirm the word with signs following. Amen. Amen. Is it okay? Yes. Hallelujah. Well, it's just for them on the platform. No, that's the whole point. That's how the devil has robbed us of power, teaching us that only people on a platform are supposed to have a testimony. Now, say it with me, I have it. And I'm going to use it. The blood, unquestionably, is the greatest and most powerful weapon you'll ever have, but your testimony is powerful as well. They overcame them by what? The blood of the Lamb. The word of their testimony and loving not their lives even unto death. Amen. Amen. We are not going to be intimidated to shut up. Amen. Not by the state, not by a school, not by peer pressure. And the disciples, like in Revelation, told Bartimaeus to be quiet. You know what he did? He he what? He raised his voice all the more. You know, a lot of us could, could really do with a Bartimaeus type of anointing. Son of David, have mercy on me. I want to pray specifically about two things. And we'll pray first of all, uh, if you're not right with the Lord, that you turn your life over to him today. You're missing out on so much. The devil told you you're losing out on things by serving God. No, it's just the opposite. You're losing out on what is so good. But the Lord wants to deal with this sense of shame and fear that might be in your life and set you free to be the witness that uh, he wants you to be. 